0: How All is right. my audio
1: quality? By the way, I'm just using good. my camera mic. Okay. okay, it's good. I'm I'm I, uh, I'm just using my, my this mic. But Beth said oh. I look cooler if I have a little mic. I look like it's, we're, uh, I'm talking to the mic like it's real. Sorry. Uh, <laughs>
2: Howdy. Welcome to the Idea to Impact podcast. Today, we have Christopher Scotty, who is a serial entrepreneur and longtime supporter of the innovation ecosystem here in Texas. He has over 25 years of experience founding, growing, and coaching emerging technology companies through relationships with private businesses and economic development organizations, as well as government and higher education institutions. His biggest strength, is the ability to play in both the technical and the business world, and act as a connector between the two. You're really going to enjoy this one, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back to the Idea to Impact podcast. My name is Beth Durermeyer, and I'm here with my co-host,
1: Jack Manheyer.
2: And today on the show, we have Chris Scotty, who uh, works at Tease here at Texas A&M. And his goal, his mission is to really support Tease in commercializing some of the amazing technology that they have coming out of uh, that program. Um, but more importantly, he's a great friend of ours. We have worked with Chris Scotty and his uh, colleague, Lene Scroggins, on um, what we what is called TNVC, which you're going to learn all about during this podcast. So uh, welcome to our show, Chris. We're really happy to have you. Great to be here.
0: And
2: yeah, so we're going to start with the question that we like to ask um, our guests in um, that is, when is the first memory that you have of being, or first taste that you got of being an entrepreneur?
0: Ooh, man, that's a good one. Um, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, when I was growing up in, let's say, end of, end of elementary school, beginning of middle school, um, we lived on a golf course in California. And uh, my dad used to give me um, some of his old golf balls or golf balls that he'd win in some tournament or whatnot. And I would go out and sell them at the tee box it was shortly, you know, like a little, little distance from our, from our house. And so I got my first taste of, uh, entrepreneurship by, by selling golf balls, um, and, uh, using that money to, uh, kind of go out and get some cool things of my own. You know, it was a neat little experience, and it kind of gave me the the kind of beginning of the entrepreneurial bug that has permeated the rest of my of my life. Wow! How long did you do that, man? You did some, and how old were you actually when that happened? You know, this is the, it, old enough that it's foggy. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's Fog. I would say it had to have been maybe fourth grade through sixth grade type of years. <laughs> okay. So yeah. that, the ten, eleven, twelve—that's that's that, that sort of era. You know, mm-hmm. but really, I didn't realize. You know, I'd done other things like selling lemonade and you know helping the garage sales and doing other various, you know, normal type of entrepreneur. I think it was normal entrepreneurial things to do with your family. But um, what made me realize that I actually had an entrepreneurial bug was in high school. I worked at Best Buy, ah. all right. And so, if you remember, I, Best Buy. This is like pre Geek Squad days. I yeah. uh, I was helping them sell computers, because I had kind of figured out that that was some, an area that I had a had an a interest and skill set in. So I was helping them sell computers, and they didn't have the ability to help people set up their computers or, or get work done on them or learn how to use them or whatever. Um, so I recognized that opportunity. And so I essentially started moonlighting for Best Buy to go into people's houses and set up the computers that they just bought. you know. And then I started going back and teaching them how to use them and hooking up to the internet which was much more complicated in those days and uh, you know getting people to actually use the stuff that that uh, they were buying in the store and that's where i realized that uh, i really enjoyed helping people make an impact with technology utilize the technology that they that that they had available to them so that's kind of where i got actually started implementing that entrepreneurial bug
1: so you're like proto proto geek squad but on your own on your own uh, that's pretty cool
2: Yep. geek squad. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> back when Geek Squad really, you know, yet yet, yeah. when being a geek cost you something, right? That yeah, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> now it's cool. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. I wonder if they came up with the idea from you somehow.
0: Yeah, I don't know, but I'm sure if I'd worked there for very much longer, I probably would have gotten in trouble because my business really <laughs> started taking off, and then they started doing in-house work.
2: So yeah, right. that's oops. <laughs> <Mind> <laughs> I, you know, so you're kind of on a, a different side of, you know, what we've had on this show, where you know we've had we had quite a few inventors on here who are the ones doing the research, but you're on that. I mean, you're you're on you're on their side, but you're kind of in a different position where you're you're not the person that's creating the inventions, but you're the person that's helping them make the impact. And I think we've kind of learned throughout this podcast that you can't do it on your own. Um, And that's one one of the themes of TNBC, right? Is that you need networks, you need support. Um, So I'm just curious, I think everyone kind of has a different definition of what the word entrepreneur or entrepreneurship means. So what does that word mean to you? You know, to me, it's identifying, it's it's a
0: whole suite of things for the reality, but for, for to try and distill it down. To me, it's identifying um, a gap um, or a a need in the market, um, and then coming up with something new to fill it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna go invent this widget in your garage. It might be recognizing that there is a technology that might have another purpose, or might be emerging from um, a piece of research uh, that you can then plug in uh, to fill that that gap out in the
2: marketplace. Interesting.
1: And you're the entrepreneur entrepreneur in residence is one of your probably many titles. Is that correct?
0: Yep. And, yeah, I fill a few different roles.
1: <laughs> and bring that to Texas A and M. Um, you know, how, how did you find Texas A and M, especially on the you know in the T's arena where, where where you're working? Um, was there were there were there gaps even within the education of entrepreneurship that you had to fill? as that entrepreneur and resident, as that instructor, that mentor, et cetera. And tell us about what that that landscape looked like and maybe what it looks like now.
0: And I had such a weird trajectory to end up where I am. It's it's crazy. Um, And, you know, I'd say I didn't find this, this found me. I mean, if you'd asked me 10, 15 years ago, as I was wrapping up my first company, my first computer company, um, and I I was wrapping up and, and, and selling it, you'd ask me if I thought I was going to end up working for the university, the state, state government, effectively, <laughs> I would have said, no way. Right. Um, I, mean that, I mean, heck, I, I didn't finish going to school, all right? right? I started my company while I was going to college. I mean, I've finished yes. it since. But, yeah, I didn't finish my degree at a and um, I, uh I started my company while I was going to school at A&M and then uh, left school to run my company because I couldn't succeed at both. And so I saw my trajectory at that point as being, oh, I'm going to go start more companies. I'm going to go help other people start. And I had, you know, this idea of being a consultant and helping, helping other people do, um, do things with their ideas. And yes, I saw that at the point, but I thought I was going to do that like externally. And I started to help with on the periphery of Texas A&M, um, in, in the, uh, in the days where. There really was no new venture program mm. so um, where tech commercialization w- would identify something you know a, a technology that might need some external help whether that be funding or leadership or just hey let's do some market discovery and figure out where this thing would plug in i would go in and try to help those um pre-companies in many cases Uh, often led by really smart people that had no idea how to run a business Mm -hmm. and I would go in and help them um, try to navigate those waters and as I was doing that I ended up um, doing a few different things running a community incubator and also helping to run the Aggie angel network uh, which was is our kind of in-house or affiliated angel network for um, technology startups and I ended up in a discussion with one of the angel investors that was there who also happened to be employed by um, Tease, right? Texas a m Engineering Experiment Station. And he's a, a commerciali- commercialization rock star in his own right, that's Duncan Maitland. Um, right. so Dr., Dr. Maitland has spun out several companies. The, the uh, most prolific is something called um, uh, Shape Memory Medical, uh, which has now gone on to raise 20 plus million and has wow. uh, just had its first uh, aneurysm fighting technology um get fda clearance so awesome guy to kind of you know have approached me about this idea of you know taking um what we recognized in Aggie angel network which was hey we got all these great technologies emerging out of the research that we do here um the almost a billion dollars worth of research that we do here but um we are uh we don't have the ability to get these technologies out of the lab and ready for, to pitch these like real world investors. There's this gap. So these really neat technologies and there's this opportunity to get funding from um, Aggie affiliated investors, but getting those companies ready to pitch was a real issue. So at AAN, we um, started a program coaching those um, uh, companies, maybe six weeks to six six months out um, from uh, needing funding. And in conversations, multiple conversations with Duncan, uh, we realized that we really needed to reach further back in the life cycle, Mm -hmm. even to the point where engaging with some of these faculty members um, in the lab and helping them identify the types of technologies or in the directions of their research. um, uh, Early on in the process, getting them to start thinking about, what is the potential market impact or or interest in this technology before I even decide what pathway to go down. And he had um, come from the West Coast and saw some competitions that are similar to what eventually became TNBC here. And he hired me to come in and basically take that six week to six month coaching, you know, predecessor coaching to these new companies and stretch it out to more like that six month to two years Ahead of um, when that company needed money. okay. And so that's what I was hired to do under that entrepreneur and residence hat. My, my role has morphed multiple times. Um, and I, I started out doing this in a part-time way because I was also running a consulting business on the side and helping several of our spin-outs in a professional role. And it's slowly grown to be a full-time position. It still includes some of that, but it's more of a matchmaker role now. Helping these companies, you know, find the folks that can meet their needs.
2: So going back, so you said that, you know, you left school and started your own company. Um, what, what was your company? What was the technology or that you were doing? So um, it's nothing glamorous. Um, you know, I quickly,
0: uh, well, I quickly figured out. I did not. I actually learned very later, very much later on, I'm not the guy that creates stuff. All right. I'm the guy that can translate between the really smart technical guys um, into something that the rest of the business world understood. That's such so, a val- valuable role though, so valuable.
1: Indeed. And yeah. you
0: know, I didn't know it at the time, all right? I thought I <laughs> no computers, okay, so right, I can help. Right. Well, what I did you know, I, in my dorm room at A&M, it was, um, it was a whole lot of working with students and faculty, helping them build computers, get connected to the network, Troubleshoot things. This was before really AM had its own help desk. Had just started to get networks in the dorms, no Wi Fi, um, mm-hmm. late 90s. Yep. And it, I turned that into a business, ended up hiring a few other students. Um, uh, in fact, the neat little side stories is that um, the residence housing, what it was called then, I have no idea what it's called now, um, actually was referring students to me um, to help get them connected to the network. Awesome. and so for a while they were referring people to me in my own dorm room to get you know do this professional work Um, meanwhile, but I you know having this entrepreneurial bug seeing the opportunity I started putting up signs I was advertising my dorm room phone number <laughs> and at and then I hired my first couple of employees and that's when I got a call from uh, one of the folks higher up in the administration and said look we appreciate what you're doing we're free this stuff this has grown beyond what is okay to do on campus right. and that's what it, I, I i was mad at the time but honestly right. it was exactly the kick in my rear that i needed it, it forced me to go off campus um and uh, really get my first uh you know invest in um uh, my own company and, and invest a lot more in my time and that's kind of the story went down the road i worked from my own home office for a long time then Opened a retail location in early 2000, and uh, then grew it up um, for the next half a dozen years or so uh, until I sold it in 2006. Wow! So there are. Um,
2: yeah. You probably helped me with my dorm room because. <laughs> <laughs> and you asked you
0: know, you ask kind of what our company did. That was the early days. What we recognized um, fairly quickly was that. Um, there was honestly a lot more money, a lot more of an opportunity uh, um, in the uh, B2B space. Okay. That was helping other small businesses, think mom and pop shops that might right. have local locations, um, doctor's offices, clinics, that kind of thing, going in there and helping them navigate this, this technology landscape. And so I realized um, that uh, I could hire the technical folks to do the back office stuff, All right. A lot better than I could ever hope to do. I mean, but I could speak their language Mm -hmm. on top of the new technologies and pieces of software that were available trends, like navigating software out to the internet um, from, you know, client server based stuff in offices. So I would then go out to the business owner um, or the executive at these small to medium companies and really dive into their workflow and find out what made their business tick. What was, uh, what was holding them back. Um, in terms of their office processes and then talk to them in terms that they understood and how they could use technology um, to speed up those processes. And that's what our company did for um, its most profitable years where we, uh, we grew very quickly, won a few Aggie 100s and uh, I started helping folks even beyond this uh, immediate region that we live in now. So um, we, we've talked
1: about i on this show before and I know that i a lot of I-Corps, from my understanding, is about customer discovery. <clears throat> and I, I hear when you're telling this about your experience, you're taking customer discovery to a whole new level. You're not just discovering, you know, who your customers are and in a more general sense, you know, will they buy my fishing lure, but you're going into each and every client and say, what are your specific needs? Let me understand your business so that I can then be a translator. That's what I hear you saying, right? And that, that translation, uh, seems so critical. What was that seen as a value add when you were doing that as a business that translate being that being able to translate like that?
0: You know, I'd love to tell you, yes. Oh, it's great. Yeah. To help these companies really appreciate what we're doing. Um, it was hard, uh, to enter new relationships with that mindset, new, new client. Mm, okay. Because, um, so much of what, uh, they knew about technology was what was being sold to them. Right. You know, it's like you you get sold a widget, all right. You get sold a, a computer. You know, and, and oftentimes people were buying technology like that, then sat in a closet, effectively, mm-hmm. or that was to- totally underutilized. So a lot of what I had to do, which was a great precursor to my experience with iCourse. so remind me to get back to that. Yeah, but sure. this this idea of going in and understanding. Um, the model, the client model, what they, you know, their business model is right. so extremely important because then you can pick the pain points, all right, and cherry pick the technologies to, to to fix those pain points. So then you're not selling someone a new computer. You're not selling them, right. um, you know, some piece of technology. What you're doing is selling them a solution to their particular pain point. And you can start talking about results and actual impact then. Um, you know dollars uh, savings in terms that they understand instead of hey buy this piece of equipment or get this piece of software um, and then figure out how to use it
1: was that was that a harder sell I'm, I'm trying to remember back to my my tax attorney days when I had my own practice and I always thought similar to what you're saying, that it would be better if I were to get in there and help them fix their long-term problems in addition to their problem with the IRS that they're having, for instance, right yeah. now. Um, so I'd say, let's do what I call an investigation. Let me investigate yeah. what's going on internally let me in- with the government, et cetera. And they'd say, no, 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 I need you to fix this problem now, this problem. I said, okay, great, we're gonna fix that, but let me go back. So I always found it to be a harder sell,
0: even though it was better value. Did you find something similar to that? Yes. Well, okay. listen. They, they, you get brought in more often than not to put out a fire. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you go in and put out a fire, but really, where the the long term business relationship is in fire prevention. Right, right. Exactly. Okay. So you go in, you learn the business model. Maybe you learn it be, be, through that baptism by fire. You're going in and putting out the, putting out the uh the, the immediate need, taking care of that immediate problem, mm-hmm. and establishing some rapport with them so that you can turn around and uh, you know help them um, plan to prevent the next one right and once you have some credibility there um, that that helped a lot it was extremely hard for us to go in and solicit clients out of the blue cold call which was part of my job that i created for myself to go and cold call somebody that things are going well with technology in their business why you know why would they want to listen to you what's what's better it was much easier to go in when there was a problem Wow. Um, and and solve it and then talk to them about uh, you know you preventing that next time around. right right yeah
2: okay so you, you wanted to, yeah. so you, I'm sorry
1: you, you said about I core I just wanted to bring you back to oh, yeah.
0: back to that you know I core uh, I learned a ton from I core I mean my exposure to an SSI core program um, was a really eye-opening experience for me in many ways um, in taking so, Made me realize that some of these experiences that I had had in the business world myself were applicable to this pre-company, really nascent um, technology emerging from a lab ecosystem. Because what you had to do, what I, what really my role as an entrepreneurial lead when helping these iCore teams, I'd go in with this um, with, with these uh, really smart faculty researchers or, or postdoctoral um, graduate research types that really had only thought in terms of their lab, very little in terms of what the market. And what I had to, in many cases, force them to do was to get out and actually talk to potential customers. Talk to maybe who, maybe start out with who they thought the potential customer was, but actually realize that, you know, I remember back to a battery technology, they thought they were going to be, uh, you know, going into electric vehicles. Well, they did out and to talk to electric vehicles. No, that wasn't who was really interested in their, um, you know, lighter weight batteries, um, this, this new technology. Um, and so they went and talked to a few, different, a few different types of battery users and realized that lighter weight batteries didn't have applicability to things that sat on the ground, it had applicability to things that flew. Ah. Um, so you, we iterated that down and ultimately figured out that commercial drones were the application in, in, that, okay. in that scenario. You know, totally different market than what they had originally envisioned um and that had some very specific needs and the cool thing about icore um that i'll just add in here um what sold me on that idea of a program was not that hey we solved or we figured out a market for this specific product it was that um on the plane ride back uh this is where the light bulb went off for me um i turned across the aisle to the pi or who had, the principal investigator guy who invented this battery technology and um you know said you know something to him about how i was sorry to you know hear that his technology was a no-go because he had Mm. learned that his technology needed some more work in the lab figuring out how it could be mass produced before he could pursue that you know commercial drone or whatever market and i'm sorry about that but hey let's talk about about next steps and he's like no no um i mean i'm going to talk to think about next steps in this but now i'm working i saw i'm working furiously way as laptop i'm working on a new research proposal um, for a related technology now instead of me thinking about what i want to research in the lab i'm now thinking about what the market's going to actually use (laughs) all right? right right and that's the real value of programs like this it's not just to solve today's problems, but it's also to kind of change that culture around entrepreneurial commercialization so that the future of research or at least a portion of the research that we do at at tier one research institutions like ours um, is thinking ahead to what that market impact for that technology is. And so often I know in
1: academe and and all of us have been within it uh, long enough to probably pick up on this is that uh, we are with with academic freedom and everything, which is, uh, you know, I I stand by all of that, I support it, but it also has some baggage that suggests I'm not gonna let anybody dictate what I'm going to be working on, including the market. And the market might even be some type of dirty money thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna do a pure thing over here. And then to have that paradigm shift that you experienced, Mm -hmm. Chris, on that plane to say, wait a second, not only is it not like a dirty thing, but I could actually be doing some real good here. Otherwise, this pure thing is going to be in my closet somewhere, right? I could actually have a real impact mm-hmm. on on society. That's that's pretty cool to be able to see the PI come to that conclusion on his or her own, as
0: opposed to preach it, right? Right,
2: because I think some faculty might never get to that point,
0: you know. So there's a story that i tell when i get in a conversation with faculty um you know that i see it going that direction where it's like right. you know don't don't tell me about my baby you know right right, right. And, and and you gotta remember these are folks many times have I been mean, working on their baby working on that technology for a dozen years or more i mean That's they are the career. Yeah. around that widget right so early on after i sold my company and was starting to figure out where my place was um in this in this ecosystem, I had a client that had come up with a uh, technology that could deliver um, uh, uh, chemotherapy drugs in a very unique way um, to cancer patients. All right, in a way that would um, uh, not cause those very toxic drugs to go throughout the, the person's body. Huh. All right, very cool. All right, and um, this guy, the inventor, also was the head of the company, and. Um, had uh, a very particular way that he saw this unfolding and going out to the market. And and I won't get into all the details, but basically um, our relationships un- unfolded to the point where um, I made a recommendation to them that they hire an external CEO uh, and uh, I allow that person to explore additional markets and figure out some new ways to get funding into their company. and. Um the faculty, the, uh, the researcher who was not a faculty member, um this was someone external to AM, that that researcher, that inventor, decided, you know, no, I have this particular way, way I see this unfolding. I want this to impact um and in his case, case, pediatric market first, and um which was laudable. I mean he saw a real need. I mean it was a very compassionate, I want this to mm-hmm. to affect of uh, Um, uh, you know, these folks, yeah, Yeah, kids with cancer. I mean, how do you, how do you argue with that story? All right. But he couldn't raise enough money around it. And it's been almost 20 years and that technology is still effectively sitting on the shelf.
1: Hmm.
0: All right. Because they couldn't raise the funds around it and get it out to, at, it out to market right. in that initial market. Now, since they've started to do some things that have gotten them some funding in other markets and the company has changed, I, I believe it's, it's, it's gonna be successful, but it took them a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I guess the, the lesson that I'm trying to impart through many of the different things I do, but especially through the story when I'm talking to faculty, is that you can have 100% of something that sits on the shelf. You've got that now, you keep going down that path, I believe chances are you're going to keep that 100% of that piece that sits on the shelf. Or you can have 20% or half of or whatever the, the, the split is of a, bigger, a much bigger pie that actually makes an impact in society that it, you know, is viable and goes out to market. And you play a role in as part of the team, if you want but that you give up some of in order to actually increase the size of that pie and ultimately that impact on society. And so I use variations of that that story and that philosophy, if you will, in, in many of the different things I do. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That reminds me of um, something similar I saw. It was actually, Chris, when you had invited, uh, I was lucky enough to be invited to one of your uh, dinners around the Texas New Venture Competition, the TNBC that I'm sure we'll talk about in detail a little bit. Um, and I was talking to a founder who uh, had technology that was successful. And he said, when I, when I founded this company, I, I knew that, hey, I'm the guy to be the CEO. I'm the leader. I'm the one who created the stuff. So um, I don't need any help with that. He goes, and then I found how hard it was to get us to, let's say, 8 million you know, an eight million raise. And I really now needed to go to the next, you know, that next level, that next tranche. And he was going, I was so foolish, you know, and now we're doing a CEO search, you know, I realize it takes a year, I gotta get the right person to get to come in here. But there's so much of those experiences that you're providing, uh, I think the stories that you're telling are based on the experiences you're providing that are are teaching people, uh, you know, 50, 60, plus years old new lessons uh, on how to make that impact in, in society And I, I just find that to be great to see scales fall off eyes to say in order to get where i want to go i've got to sometimes step back in an industry meaning academia where my i've been pushed my entire career to be upfront, yes. to be the first person on the paper right to be the to be the pi to be yep. the first to make tenure and all that so that's really an interesting transition
0: very much so. Uh, I know about. I remember the conversation. Yeah. We were sitting at the same table there. Right, right. And it's really neat to see those, those kind of light bulbs go off. Hear about those stories. But um, one of the things that's frustrated me also, though, is like those stories. Okay, where you right. hear about these commercialization successes. Historically, um, they've happened sort of out of. Uh, I was gonna say luck, but more ad hoc. It's like right, right. one-on-one type of relationship. It wasn't planned, right? It wasn't. Uh, uh, yeah. you no, know, even even that one I was talking about before with Dr. Maitland and shape memory, um, and 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 I could rattle off a, a half a dozen more cool successes. Glad that they they worked out this way, but um, you know they've happened because of these one-on-one sort of conversations. Um, and 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 a fair bit of luck as well. Yeah. And I think what we're we're trying to do now with the what is next in this entrepreneurial commercialization um, evolution that's going on right now is to try and make this process more systematic. All right, mm-hmm. I think that's part mm-hmm. of what I-Corps is trying to do. It's certainly yep. what um, some of the programs that I'm involved in, like TNBC, are trying to do. Really, where we are, you know, using what we have learned perhaps from of these successful case studies, and then turning that into an educational process and a methodology um, that other, um, you, you know, uh, academic researchers can then follow uh, and see that their peers have had success with this. And we have real data behind this. Now we're not just trying to take their baby away from them. We're showing them how they can um, increase the odds of them actually making an impact um, with their technology. So and making that whole process much more systematic and increasing that flow, that pipeline of technologies flowing out of our labs and our research efforts is really the end goal.
2: I guess I just have a hard time like visualizing how, um, you know, it can, how can it be systematic when I feel like everybody's you know the technologies are all different every you know everybody's story is a little bit different but you're saying that yes that's true however when it comes to the business side of things there are certain things that are systematic that have to be done that you know need to be taken care of to move forward
0: you know systematic is an easy way to explain this it's a kind of it's, it's, it's easy, lots easier to talk about than it is to implement, but I can demonstrate through an example. All right, so it, this is a particularly applicable to faculty who love, um, love data. All right, and they hate to be told what to do. All right, so, you know, you go in and uh, we, we've looked at now six years of our new venture competition. All right, and we look back at the data that we have and we know certain characteristics about the the companies that have participated, both those that have failed and those that have succeeded um, both in our competition and then beyond and we you know asked some questions almost like an interview at the beginning about what's the status of their technology who is their management team um, and uh, learn a little bit about those management team members and one of the things that we can do now is go back and look at match up those characteristics um, in this case uh, do, they, do they have a management team that is of more than one, all mm-hmm. right? And, and of that management team, um, does it have both technical and business elements, all mm. right? And we know that more than 90% of the finalists, all right, these are the, the top six in the state of Texas, top six um, you know, science and engineering-based companies in the state of Texas, more than 90% of those have what uh, we term as a as a diverse management team right and so when you can take statistics like that and then make that a milestone all right when you're talking to um, a a research team around uh, that's interested in in commercializing their technology and tell them all right at some point before you go and raise private funds before you go out and reach And, you know, get get enough money to be able to take your technology closer to to market. You're going to um, need to seriously consider following in the footsteps of these other companies that have proven that this methodology works. And you show them the numbers, all right? You show them, hey, this isn't just, you know, Chris Scotty giving you this advice, uh, you know, uh, out, out of his own interests. This is proven, hey, we've got a bunch of data now that shows if you do these things, you will increase your likelihood substantially of being able to make impact with your technology. And it's implementing other things like that, other tools like uh, using the, the Lean Canvas model, mm-hmm. uh, which Icor corps has, has fully embraced. Um, and now the, the, the venture world has as well, going through and, and, and filling different milestones where you're not only thinking about the progression of your technology but you're also thinking about how is your technology going to scale? How's it going to be manufactured? How's it going to get to market? Who is the customer? You know, it's not always the same person as the user of your technology Mm -hmm. who's writing you the check. Right. right. Um, What regulatory issues do you need to think about all those different hurdles? And if you can put those into a um, incubation or acceleration process and actually have these elements it's not a one-size-fits-all you know obviously you know medical devices are going to need to think about different regulatory things than a cybersecurity technology but you have these different checkboxes at the different stages you know all of a sudden hey we're talking about a system here we're Mm -hmm. talking about something where we've already thought about the potential pitfalls we've already thought about the solutions to those pitfalls and we can show you here are how other um, uh, predecessors you know peers have navigated these pitfalls previously. And the idea here is to help more of these technologies get out to market, but there's a corollary. As you go through this process, you're also gonna recognize the ones that are probably not gonna make it, all right? right. And it's always hard to hear that your your baby's ugly, you know, Yeah, Um, Yeah. but that is a very valuable thing to hear. All right, because it's freeing in a way because all right, Instead of going three more years trying to pursue this, you know, this technology, this this uh, uh, potential opportunity, you can now take what you learned, go back and pivot, um, and uh, not invest your energy in something that's ultimately not going to be a success. You realize that early, you save money and you save a whole lot of time.
2: And I remember Omar, Omar talking about uh, Omar Hakeem about how you know he he's been involved with Aggie Angel uh, investors. And talking about, you know, they would, you know, they they've had a guy that you know he failed five times, and he was on like his fifth company. And but the guy, you know, it it almost gave him more clout because, you know, they knew that he had learned something from each of those five failures, and he was wow. continuing to to push forward with new ventures and new technologies. But you know, like you learn so much when you learn that your baby is ugly. And that you can, you know, pivot or move on to something else. Like there's, there's value in that.
0: Oh, there certainly is. Yeah. That reminds me back of my, uh, my, uh, computer company days. Um, the best clients were usually ones that had a failure already, you know, with with some other big box, uh, company or, you know, big computer maker. Um, and it, it went South for whatever reason. Um, the same is true here. Uh, the folks that have gone through and the process, um, and you know, fill out at some point, are usually the ones that come back and be the um, the more successful ones because they're willing to listen and bring in bring in the help that they need, um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and they know where their strengths are too, um, so they can focus on leveraging those strengths.